0: Good evening. No, evidently you didn't hear me. I like some response or this is going to be a long weekend for all of us. So, good evening. Good. Evening. good. Yeah, and that's to um I'm expecting response throughout the services. So, I invite your answers to questions and um a little nod of the head every now and then let's me, lets me uh know that you're you're awake and following along. So, well, I'm blessed to be here tonight. Uh, excited to share from God's Word with you, and I, I um, trust that we can be encouraged together. Uh, nice nice group of youth here. Um, thank you, Sandy Ridge youth. It's good to see you here. Um, I wasn't sure Walter had told me to let our youth know that they're invited to come, and I thought, well, maybe they're Maybe they got weary of hearing me preach at church, but I'm blessed that they came and, and uh, to enjoy the weekend. So, probably most of you kind of know who I am, but Kendall Burkholder, obviously. I, uh, my wife is here, Glendora, and we have four children. Uh, Brenna's the oldest. She's 18. And then I have a daughter, Vanessa, who's 15, and Kate, who's 13, and Damian, 9. So, that's our family. That's who we are. Um, I do lawn care, and so right now I'm still in hibernation mode, So, um, but it looks like that may be changing, right? I grew up just south of Napanee, and um, my grandparents lived just across the road from, about across the road from Weaver Furniture, and uh, I assume most of you know where that's at. They're on 1350, and I enjoyed spending a lot of time at my grandparents' place, and um, we would go over there to work or do things or be there for the evening, and I would take my BB gun along and shoot birds and and, uh, just do different things there, but um, as I got a little bit older, old enough to help my grandpa, um, I would go over during the week and help him mow grass, and uh, we did quite a bit of push mowing. He wanted certain things mowed with a push mower, and so I was, I would mow with the push mower, and and we would work together, and my grandma worked. And so uh, for lunch, we would either go in, and he would fry up something for lunch, or we'd go to McDonald's sometimes. And so it was a special time for me growing up, interacting with my grandfather. And the summer of 1991, I would have been um, 13. Um, I was doing a project at home um, at our house, and I, my, my father came home from work, and I remember him uh, coming out to check up on me. I was, I was staining a, uh, it was a play set. And uh, he came out to talk to me and see how things were going. And as we were talking, my, my mother came out, and she said, Hey, Grandma just called, and there's been an accident just around the corner from them. And, and she's worried that it might have been Grandpa. He just left to uh, go to Milford or somewhere. I forget where he went. Maybe it was New Paris. Anyhow. It was over towards, our north towards Goshen area, and so my, my grandma was a little bit of a warrior, and so we thought, well, okay, we'll, we'll appease grandma, but I just remember getting in the truck with my dad and, and driving the three miles over there, and it was a hot summer day. We had the windows down, and it was pretty quiet in the truck. We weren't talking, and I remember going past my grandparents' place, and we went up to County Road 9, and we went north there. And when we got up there, there had been a car train accident. And I remember as we got out of the vehicle and we started walking up to the railroad, um, I didn't know this man, but he was the county coroner. He met my father. He knew um, their family. And he said, Steve, it's your, it's your dad. And I just remember seeing that, that car in the ditch and seeing a sheet beside it. And that was my grandpa. And he was pretty special to me. We did a lot of things together. And I remember going home that, or going to my grandparents' place that evening, and um, spending the evening there as a family, and of course all kinds of neighbors and stuff came. And I just remember thinking, you know, what, it seems like such a terrible time to lose a grandfather. Here I I am, I'm 13, and I enjoy being with my grandpa. Um, You know, my grandfather and I, we never really had any, deep conversations or anything like that. He wasn't the type that was, you know, really invested in my life and asking me how I'm doing personally. That wasn't the type of person he was, but I knew he cared about me and he had interest in me as a person. And suddenly in that short time period, or suddenly my life had changed. I didn't have a grandpa anymore. And I remember that was, it was a, it was, it was a hard time for me. Um, it took me quite a while to get adjusted to that. And you know, life is like that sometimes. We face big things. Something happens or something changes in our life. And, and we wonder, why? Have any of you ever experienced that? Or you wonder, where's God in this? Is God in it? Why is this happening? We ask those kinds of questions. And sometimes we wonder, well, God, did you lose control? Was this supposed to happen? Maybe you wonder, what are you trying to do, God? Why are you doing this? When do we normally ask those kinds of questions? Is it when things are going good? Not usually, right? When do we ask those kinds of questions? It's not going like we want it to be going, right? Something changed from what we thought should happen. Suddenly life changed. Something was different something happened and we start to question, God, where are you at? Or we start wondering, was that God? Or was that just an accident? You know, we, we can guess all we wanted to about my grandfather. Uh, I remember after the accident, sometime after that, my dad and I went over. What, at that time, there were no crossing bars there. There was just a stop sign. And the limbs had grown over. Um, The road and partially covered that stop sign and my grandpa has lived in that area for his whole life and so it's not that he didn't know the railroad was there but for some reason he had tunnel vision and he drove right in front of a train but my father and I went over and we we trimmed up those branches so that you could see that stop sign and um, did some things like that ...to hopefully make it better for somebody else. But it's in those times when something's not going right that we ask those questions. You know, tonight we're going to look at a story in the Bible where not everything went well. And as we go through this story, I would like for you to help me. And I'm going to read the passage. And as we look at this story, there are good things that happened in this story... And there are some not-so-good things. And as we go through, I'll put the Scripture up here. And the underlying things are what I want you to look at. And then I want you to tell me good or bad in this person's life. And so we're going we're gonna to start. And the story's about Joseph found in Genesis chapter 37. And you're all f- very familiar with the, with the story. You can either turn there or you can look up here. But I'm just going to start reading in Genesis chapter 37. Beginning at verse 12, and so um, Joseph, uh, his brothers are out taking care of the sheep. That's where we're breaking into the story. And it says, And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here I am. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. Good or bad? First of all, what did they do? Thank you. It's going to be a long weekend unless you keep talking up. (laughs) The first underlying thing, what did they do as he was coming? to visit they planned to kill him they saw him coming and they I don't know what was going on in the in the fields maybe they were muttering that it's so nice to be away from the little brat or something but something was going on that when they saw him coming they said "Ah, here he comes let's kill him right bad or good bad right that's right. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him. Now what? It's Bad. First of all, they threatened, right? And now they're making plans. They're figuring out, let's, let's kill him. Let's, let's get rid of him. Let us slay him and cast him into a pit. And so they get real specific. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to kill him. We're going to throw him in the pit. And we will say, some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. So he saved his life. Good or bad? Good thing, right? Right, so even though Joseph probably didn't know what was going on before he came, right? So he's, he's walking up there, hey brothers, how's it going? He doesn't know that he's already been, his life has basically left him and luckily his older brother spoke up and said, no, let's not kill him. Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness and lay no hand upon him that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brother and that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. So tell me, why'd they do that? They were jealous of him. Yeah. And then they stole his personal possession, right? This was his Probably his favorite coat. It was special. It was something that his mother had made for him. And so they took his personal possession. And I don't know if you've ever had anything stolen, but that doesn't feel very good. It doesn't feel very good when somebody takes something that you own, something that's mine, something that I've worked for, and something that I value, and somebody takes it. But they took it from him. It says, and they took him and cast him into a pit. It's good or bad. Bad. That's right. They cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread. And they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites. Is that good or bad? If they sold him to the Ishmaelites, where is he going? Egypt, right? You think he wanted to live in Egypt? Was that his choice of home? Probably not, right? And so, and the interesting thing is, okay, we read this story and we have this, you guys know what happened. You know the end of the story. But put yourself in Joseph's shoes as we read through here. He doesn't know the end of the story. All he's doing is going to visit his brothers. Before he gets there, they threaten to kill him. They decide not to kill him. They throw him in the pit. And now, all of a sudden, they sell him to these, this band of men that are going past these merchants. And he's headed off to, he probably doesn't know where, right? Are our lives ever like that? Where things change, where things happen, and we don't know what's going on. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. They sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. And he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the coat in blood, and they sent the coat of many colors. And they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, it is my son's coat. So they sent the coat back to his dad and they said, "Ah, we don't know. Do you think, is this Joseph's coat or not? And he said, yeah, that's Joseph's coat. So what did they do to their father now? They They lied and they tricked him. So put yourself in Joseph's shoes. You go to visit, you get thrown in the pit, you get thrown to this group of men, you're on a trip to you don't know where probably. And guess what? If you'd imagine Joseph heading that way, you probably think, well at some point the brothers are going to go home and dad's going to figure out that I'm not with him and dad's going to figure out where, where did I go? Did I get lost? And dad will come looking for me, right? And what do the brothers do? They take that idea away, right? Joseph doesn't know that, but that's not going to happen, because now they've tricked their dad into thinking that he's dead. So dad's probably not going to go look for him if he thinks he's dead. And so he said, it is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. That would have been interesting, wouldn't it have? To see this group of brothers go up to dad and try to comfort him when they full well know what happened. In fact, they're responsible for it. But he refused to be comforted and said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning Thus his father wept for him, and the Midianites sold him into Egypt, unto Potiphar, an officer of of Pharaoh's, and the captain of the guard. So now what happens to Joseph? He gets sold, and what does that mean for him? What is he? He's a slave. Is that good? He got a job now? Better (laughs) than... I like it. Better than being dead, right? But slave is probably not the choice on Joseph. It's probably not one of his life's goals, right? And so he gets, he gets sold into Potiphar's house, and he's a slave. All he wanted to do is go visit his brothers out in the field and give them some food from home and visit with them a bit and go back and report to Dad how everything's going, right? And suddenly, everything has changed. Everything's out of control. He doesn't get to make any choices for himself. Suddenly, everything is happening to him. We're going to skip a chapter, and we're going to go to chapter 39, and this is talking about Joseph when he was in Egypt. It says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hand of the Ishmaelites, which had had brought him down thither and the Lord was with Joseph. How do you think he knew that? Maybe we need to answer it first. Is that a good thing? Was that scary or was that, do you think that was consoling? It's a good thing, right? How do you think he sensed that? How do you think he knew that the Lord was with him? Maybe felt a peace. Out of everything's out of control. The situation is out of control. He has nothing. He can't do anything about where he's at. But the Lord was with him. He maybe felt a peace. And he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. how was he prosperous put yourself in his shoes you're a slave in africa you got there you don't you don't know how you got there suddenly the plane landed and you you're there and you're now a slave and the lord is with you and it says and he was a prosperous man how do you do that is that a good thing bad thing good thing right he was prosperous, even though everything was out of control. His life was out of control. His plans weren't plans anymore, right? Life was happening to him. He wasn't making any plans. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him. And so, if, if that's true, I don't see Joseph coming to work mornings or coming up coming over to his master's house and being all dumpy and down in the dumps and just, uh, you know, crying and, oh, I didn't get much sleep last night. He's worrying about home. If, if his master saw that the Lord was with him and, and he saw him doing a good job, I, I think Joseph was excited to go to work and, and work for Potiphar. It says, and Joseph found grace in his sight. This is his slave, his, his owner, right? He found grace in his sight. So is that a good thing for Joseph? Yes. It's a good thing for Joseph, right? And so even though he found himself in less than ideal circumstances, at least the person that he's working for is kind of liking him. Probably going to be kind to him. He found grace in his sight and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house. And all that he had, he put into his hand. So what happened? Give me just a phrase here to describe what happened there at the end. Potiphar trusted him, and he made him overseer. So now all of a sudden he goes from from slave and probably doing just menial tasks and And now all of a sudden Potiphar says, you know what, I don't know who this new guy is, but man, he's got a good attitude. He's a hard worker. I like him. He probably has a pleasant disposition about him, right? And Potiphar says, you know what, I think I'm just going to put him in charge of the whole household. And if you can imagine Joseph, he probably came to work thinking, you know what, I'm just going to make the best of this. And he's going about his work, and suddenly he gets called in by the slave master, right? The owner, and the owner says, You know what? Potiphar says, I think I'm going to put you in charge of the whole house. And here's Joseph thinking, Oh my, what happened, right? And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptians' house for Joseph's sake. There's another positive. I didn't even underline it, but not only is Joseph being blessed, but Potiphar's house is being blessed. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Even his flocks were blessed because of Joseph. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he knew not aught he had. Save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. So Joseph's going about his daily duties, he's, he's working, he's being faithful, and suddenly, what happens? Give me English terms for what they're saying here. What did Potiphar's wife do? She lusted over Joseph. His master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. She made herself available. Not only did she lust after him, she pursued him. Here's Joseph in a land far away from home. Nobody's there that he knows. He's slave. Oh, he's promoted slave, right? He's in charge of all the house. Master is gone. And suddenly his master's wife starts making things really hard for Joseph. She gives him opportunities that he could have, well, quite easily taken advantage of. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. And in some ways I wonder if Joseph even felt responsible for her. I think Joseph would have, he was the kind of man that would have probably done anything to protect her while his master was gone. Now here, all of a sudden, she's bringing this into his life. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day. Good thing or bad thing? Bad. So this wasn't a one-time thing, but this was going on every day. And I wonder if Joseph started kind of dreading going to work. Here he has this responsibility. He's supposed to take care of stuff at at Potiphar's house. And every morning when he goes, why there she is. And I'm... I believe she made it hard for him and she tried different things every day and she put pressure on him. That he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. And there was none of the men in the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And so she tempts him again. And this time she doesn't just tempt him. She's pursuing him. She's grabbing him. She's trying to, to pull him to her. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when, he saw that he had, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of the house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought an Hebrew unto us to mock us. So what's Potiphar's wife doing here? What's that? Lying about him, right? Lying about his character. So she brings a man of the house in and she says what in the world was my husband thinking when he hired this guy? You wouldn't believe what just happened. See here, I have his coat. That's the second coat Joseph's lost, right? See, he hath brought an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass, when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me, and fled, and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her, until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, "The, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us, came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me. And so now she's directly lying about what he did, right? So she made up this story. She's directly lying, which is not good for Joseph, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison. So is this a good turn of events or bad? Bad, right? So he went from pit to Egypt, slave, bad. Then he got promoted, right? Now she lies about him. Now he gets put into prison. A place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph. How did he know that? Maybe the same way he knew it last time, right? Maybe he felt a peace about it. Maybe he called out to the Lord. And the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. That was a positive, right? And gave and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners. Good thing or bad thing? You're in prison, but. Now you at least have an elevated prison position, right? Probably depends on your perspective. Uh, He probably got some perks that the other prisoners didn't. So he's, he's in charge of the prisoners. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him. That's Joseph. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. And that's a good thing. God began to bless Joseph where he was at. And I think he was effective in that prison, even though he didn't plan to be there. Even though he probably didn't want to be there at first. But he took, in every scenario that he found himself in, he just applied himself. When he got sold, when he got to Egypt, he worked for Potiphar. He did, his, he did the best job he could. And he got promoted. If you would have been Joseph, would you have the same type of attitude? Would you have, would you have had the same um, disposition about you to make your slave owner, your, the, your, yeah, your owner think, wow, this guy's he's, he's really got a good attitude. I like him. I think I'm going to give a promotion. I think I'm going to um, raise him up or let him be over the household. You know, a couple other things about Joseph while he was in prison. Uh, Later on, if you remember the butler and baker, that whole fiasco that happened. Uh, As he was in the prison, they came in, they're also in prison, and um, they begin to talk back and forth. If you remember, they both had a dream, and then Joseph gave them, um, he gave them meaning of the dream, and suddenly, I mean, they're, they're right next to Pharaoh, they're right next to king, they're right next to the top person in the land. And so suddenly, Joseph has this connection with them. And you know what? He might be able to get out of prison. And so, he probably gets his hopes raised. Well, they they go off, and they forget about him. So what's Joseph's response supposed to be? Or what could it have been? Well, he could have been all in the dumps, right? But I don't think he was. That's just not the type of person that Joseph is. But eventually, we all know what happened. Eventually... Um, they, they did uh, remember him, and Joseph came out of prison, and Pharaoh made him overseer of Egypt. And as I thought about this story, I, I had to wonder, if Joseph was overseer, at that point, why didn't he someday say, you know what, i going need to go out here and check a few things and just disappear <laughs> and head home? He probably could have. He's overseer. Nobody questioned what he was doing and where he was going. At that point, he could have probably escaped and and went home again. But he didn't. He was faithful where he was at. He did the best job he could as overseer of Egypt. Joseph chose wherever God had placed him to give it his best shot. He chose to flourish. You know, our lives, even though we don't maybe have the extremes that Joseph experienced. In our lives, we all face hard things at times. We all face things that we wish we wouldn't have to face. And sometimes we, we face blessings too, don't we? We face things that, that are a blessing. And life is like that sometimes. There are, there are highs and, and lows. And we all face them. You know, some years ago, um, my wife and I, we were, I think we were young married, I don't think we had any children, and uh, we went skiing with a group of friends in Pennsylvania. How many of you board or ski? A few of you. Hopefully you can identify with the story here, but when you're skiing, it's pretty important that, for the most part, you're balanced on your skis, and I don't board, so I I ski, but on a board you have to also balance with both of your feet. Well, anyhow, we were skiing, and it was in Pennsylvania, so it was a bigger slope than what they have up in Michigan. Michigan, they're just kind of down, and you go back up, and this is what you do all day long—you just go up and down. But Pennsylvania, there was—they have a little bigger slope. There's actually a mountain that you could go up, and you could ski down, and then you could take the, you know, the lift up, and then you could ski over here, and you could kind of work your way around the mountain. So, and that's where we were at. We had. I'd kind of worked my way around the mountain, so you can't just go from the top and go right down to uh, the parking lot or down to the main lodge area. You have to go up again and and work your way back around. Well, I was was in the middle of skiing, and I I broke a binding or a ski boot. I forget what it was, but my my one ski was not usable. And I was around the side of the mountain. Well, I decided I'm not going to take my skis off and trek around the bottom of the mountain. That looked like too much work. So I finally got on the lift and I I got up the ski slope and uh, when I got to the top I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do because it doesn't work very good to ski with one one foot in and so I held the ski and I would I would I would balance and it was going pretty good but then you know somebody was ahead of me and you, it's hard to turn on just one leg and so I drag my boot and try to and finally you know I'd wipe out and so uh, so I'd get back up on the ski again and I'd get going and I would. I'd be going pretty good, be going, well, now I'm going too fast and there's no way to slow yourself down. I mean, typically you just, you turn real sharp and it slows you down, but with one ski it didn't work. So I'd just go until finally, I was like, you know what, I better not go any faster. And I'd just ditch it. And so that was, that was kind of my ride um, down the slope that day. And you know, sometimes life is a little bit like that. Sometimes life is a little bit like that. We think, okay, we about have it balanced, we're just about going, and then somebody cuts in front of us and we have a crash, you know, or something happens, or we we maybe get out of control and, and we end up wiping out. And sometimes it's just a balancing act trying to stay up. But, you know, when you have two feet in a ski or on a board and everything's working right, I tell you what, going down the hill is just exhilarating. It is just a lot of fun, and you can go down, and you can you know you can control it. You can go around people, and and you can stay out of the trees, hopefully, and uh, get to the bottom. But it's just a lot of fun. But when you learn to ski, there are a fair amount of accidents. You fall. There's a fair amount of snow that goes down your back. There are just um, for skiers, we call them garage sales because when they fall down, one ski goes that way and one that way and the poles are everywhere. We just call it a garage sale because it's just kind of scattered all over. But, you know, as you learn to ski and as you learn to control yourself going down the hill, it's once you master that, that you can enjoy skiing down the hill and you know your, you know your limits, you've learned from those accidents and you can actually enjoy skiing or boarding. But it's, it's nearly impossible, maybe not quite, but it's, it's, it's pretty hard to learn without falling at all. At some point, we fall, and life is like that. It seems like there are constantly things that we need to learn. There are constantly things that come in our lives that affect us. They affect where we're going. They affect the speed of our life. They affect where we want to go, where we want to end up. And we have to make a decision what we're going to do with those. We have to make a decision if we're going to let them affect us or not. You know, imagine Joseph's story without the pit. Imagine Joseph's story without the Ishmaelites. Imagine Joseph's story without Potiphar's house and without prison. But imagine that story still in the Bible. What would it be? Boring. Quite frankly. Joseph grew up, he goes out and sees his brothers. Well, maybe that's not even the story. Maybe Joseph grew up, maybe at some point his family needed grain and they end up going to Egypt and maybe somebody there looks at him and says, hey, that's a nice young man. Maybe we should ask him to work here. Maybe he would have gotten a job and he would have been promoted to manager of Egypt like he was eventually. But can you imagine the preparation that God took Joseph through all all along his road Every time he made a a good choice, whether it was um, at Potiphar's house or in prison, how he was being developed, that when he came to the end of his, his time there in Egypt, he was a much different person, a much better person than who he would have been if he wouldn't have went through all of that struggle, through all of those hard times. You know, God had a plan, and he was constantly developing Joseph through every step of the way. You know, sometimes we face those hard things, and it's maybe even evident. We can see God's hand in it, but it's still hard. And sometimes that's the scariest, when we know that it, it was God's will, but that really hurts God. It doesn't feel good, what I'm going through. It doesn't feel good, what I'm facing. And when we, we start to wonder, you know, why does God do this? Why does God make it so hard for me? Why... Why would he allow that? We hear that question sometimes. How could, how could a loving God allow me to face whatever it is? And I wonder sometimes if God, in his all-knowing, the all-knowing being that he is, wants to draw us, wants us to learn something. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Are you the type of person that when you hit a hard time, that you crave God? God, I need you. I need, I need to hear more of you. I, I want more of you. I wa- this is so hard. This is so hard, but I want to learn from, I, I want to learn the lesson that you're trying to teach me. I want to know what you're trying to, I'm, I want to know what, what you want me to know. I want to be in your will. I want to follow you. I want to do what you want me to do. Is God your refuge? You know, David in the Psalms illustrated this quite well in Psalm 42. And I'm just going to read through it and point a few things out. Sorry, that was Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in, in trouble. Let's go to Psalm 42. It says, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, the living God. I can imagine David facing something and he's saying, God, where are you at? He desired him, he wanted him, but he he, he couldn't feel him. God, it, it it felt empty. Where are you at, God? God, why aren't you showing up? When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night. While they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? So not only is he going through a tough time, but the people around him are coming to him and saying, David, where's your God you're always singing about? Where's your God you're always writing about? Doesn't look like like he's very evident in your life right now. Doesn't look like he's in control right now. So now he has people taunting him. Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. I find it interesting that David is saying that he went to to praise. He went to he went with a voice of joy and praise with a multitude. It sounds like, I don't know, did he, did he go... For us, it'd be he went to church. Even though things were down, he wasn't feeling good, things weren't going well, he went with a group of people and they were expressing joy. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. You know, sometimes it is just a choice that we have to make. Sometimes I don't feel like being joyful. Sometimes I don't really feel like learning from God today. I don't really want to hear what he has for me to teach me. But sometimes I have to make a choice and say, that says, you know what, that's the right thing. This is going to be good for me. And I'm going to listen. And I'm going to learn. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites from the hill Mizar. You know, God, even though my he talks about his soul being cast down within me and he says, I'm still going to remember you, he's making a choice to remember God. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. God, you're just pouring it on right now. I can't handle this. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song will be with me. And my prayer unto the God of my life. You know, God is faithful. And David's saying, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful to my God also I'm going to pursue him I will say unto God my rock why hast thou forgotten me why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy as with a sword in my bones my enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me where is thy god why art thou cast down o my soul and why art thou disquieted within me you know that's david kind of removing himself from his situation and kind of taking a view from Drone height and looking down at himself and saying, "Why are you sad?" That's hard to do when we're in the middle of tough times. It's hard to pull away from it and not just wallow in the heaviness of what I'm facing. It's hard to pull away and, and take stand back and take an honest look and say, "You know what? God must be trying to teach me." I don't. I can't see it all, but I can see right there. That's really painful. But God has a plan. That's what Joe. That's what. Um, David does. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? And then he makes a choice. He says, "Hope thou in God." And that's a key phrase, I think. He had hope in God even through the tough times, and I think that's what, jo- what that's what carried Joseph through. Joseph had hope that God had something figured out. God had something in His plans. He was in control. And when David chooses to hope in God, it says, For I shall yet praise Him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. He chooses to praise Him, even in the hard time, even when he doesn't know what's going on. Where are you at in the balancing act of life? You have two skis down. Maybe you're holding one up, kind of wobbling a little bit. Maybe your slope of life is just like freshly groomed snow and you're just going right along and everything's going fine. Life is good. Maybe you've rarely felt that, but it's been more like you're on one ski and there's been more um, exhilarating rushes right before the crash. Maybe it seems like there's just repeated crashes. It just doesn't stop. Maybe you begin to wonder, you know, where is God? Or you start to question, does He care? And sometimes you wonder, you know, maybe God isn't even real. Is He real? doesn't feel real. I can't feel Him. Are you going to be like the psalmist and choose to hope in God? No matter what you face, you're going to hope in God. You're going, to, you're going to trust Him. You know, if you're feeling like that, I can assure you God hasn't moved. God is there. God is faithful. And no matter if you're experiencing a tough time or not, God is always there. He cares about us. And He's there to walk with us. Every step of the way. There's a verse in Jeremiah that says, When you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. James 4 says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. You see, the choice is ours. The choice is mine. I can't control what comes in my life. I can't control what happens. But I can choose how I respond to it. I can choose to be a Joseph. Joseph. No matter what came into his life, he decided, you know what? I'm going to make the best of this, and we can do the same thing, and I'd encourage you to do it.